electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, and I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, legendary investor and philanthropist Paul Tudor Jones speaks out on geopolitical and economic challenges for the United States. The United States is probably in its weakest fiscal position since certainly World War II. The hedge fund billionaire gives his perspective on the markets, house politics, and so much more. It's a really challenging time to want to be an equity investor in U.S. stocks right now. Plus, on the ground in Jerusalem, one of Israel's largest venture investing vehicles, our crowd is business as usual, sort of. CEO John Medved says Hamas won't hinder Israeli spirit. What's remarkable is how Israel is resilient and how, despite all of this, life goes on, our businesses go on, and investment goes on. From a financial standpoint, we're going to be fine and actually emerge stronger. We go beyond the politics to financial and cultural strength while at war. The country is unified in a way with an unbelievable spirit, and we're not fighting overseas, we're fighting for our homes. It's Tuesday, October 10th, 2023, and Squawk Pod begins right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, who are on set today with a legendary investor and philanthropist, Paul Tudor Jones, the famed hedge funder who made billions and founded nonprofit Robinhood to give back. Here's Andrew. Paul Tudor Jones is here to talk markets, rates, the Fed, and everything happening in the Middle East right now. He's the founder and CIO of Tudor Investments, founder, of course, of the Robinhood Foundation, and it's great to see you here especially at a moment where we're all trying to make sense of a lot of senseless uh, things. But let's start with Israel in terms of thinking about the geopolitical implications of this, but also how you think it's going to long-term and short-term affect markets. Well, I think Israel, obviously it's a, it's a huge tragedy, but you have to put it in a larger geopolitical context, which is we now have 
possibly three theaters where we're going to have geopolitical challenges. We've got the Middle East and Israel, obviously the Ukraine and Russia, and then at some point down the road, Taiwan and China. So it's a really, I, I would say since, certainly since I was born, it might be the most threatening and challenging geopolitical environment that I've ever seen because you have four nuclear powers, uh, three of whom are led by sociopaths, and that would be China, Russia, and North Korea. Obviously, those leaders have zero accountability, responsibility to anyone but themselves, and they have um, not an ounce of humanity in their bones because they regularly disappear, both their friends and their enemies. And then the fourth, Iran is led by someone who thinks God is talking to them and has avowedly said that they want to remove from this earth a nation state with probably the most brilliant people ever assembled within a national boundary. So it's a really challenging environment. Uh, if you think about it too much, I want my lucky color to be invisible, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very threatening times. So that is also happening at the same time the United States is probably in its weakest fiscal position since certainly World War II with debt to GDP at 122%. So it's a really tough time for I think the moral voice of the world, certainly been the leader since World War II. It's a, it's a really difficult time. Let's break this apart. I want to talk U.S. in just a moment, but mm -hmm. to, to this existential risk that you talk about, mm -hmm. you know, these nuclear powers, mm -hmm. is there any way as an investor to even think about that beyond just the end? Meaning, do you say to yourself, I need to, dare I say, hedge myself against these risks, or do you say that these risks are just what they are, and so I, I, I have to keep going? I think we've become inured to headline risk. If you think about the market's reaction to what happened over the weekend, it was a linear response, right? It was, it was, it was risk off, but it wasn't anything that possibly recognizes just how dangerous this could be. So, uh, and I think that's because we've gotten exhausted with, with headline risk. It doesn't mean that we can't have a nonlinear reaction, the market's down the road if something bad happens. And so it doesn't mean that. It means that I think at this point in time, we're just probably incorrectly exhausted by this. This pretty this. bad, though. Like, what, when you say something bad happens, what would that have to be? Something that happens domestically? Well, I mean, if you think about, again, what happened, where this really gets bad is obviously if Iran and Israel get in direct conflict. That's when it really gets bad because then you've got um, the ability to have kind of a first world war cascade when everyone gets involved. Obviously, the big question now is, was Hamas a proxy for Iran like Hezbollah is or was it simply uh, an ally? And there's, a, there's big different responses that come from which one of those is ultimately determined by Israel. So, yeah, if from a personal standpoint, 
would I be investing in risk assets now in stocks until I saw what the resolution was with Israel and Iran? You know Israel's going to respond in some way, shape, or form. The determination right. of whether Iran was actually responsible is enormous because, again, it has the possibility to really escalate into something terrible. And so does that mean you, that you are, we would be, as an investor, risk off in terms of, you just said, would you want to own equities? I mean, there's also the question of what you think is going on in the United States with our economy, with the rest of the world, with what the Federal Reserve is or isn't going to do. It's a, it's a, it's a really challenging time to want to be an equity investor in U.S. stocks right now. It's really hard because, again, you've got uh, the geopolitical uncertainty, which we, I think, come to live with to a certain extent. But again, all those have the ability to, uh, to have a nonlinear outcome. So something not just uh, business as usual. But I think it's, I think equally as much of a problem is the fiscal situation that we're facing in the United States, which is gonna, which is gonna require a completely different political mentality that, to what that's got pretty, us here. That's pretty telling. So we're, you know, the possibility of a real possibility of a nuclear war is, right. is there, but our fiscal situation is just as bad. That's, I mean, that, that's a statement. So, so black swans, Paul, are no, they're not black swans anymore. They're, they're actual quantifiable risks. We need a new word for black swans. There's like four or five of them that used to be, you didn't even have to really, if, if it happened, we're all gone anyway, so you don't worry about it. But now they're actually something that are on your radar. Well, yeah. so is a pandemic, which was on your radar in, in Davos before anyone knew the word. I, I would say the fiscal situation is very different from other cataclysmic events that we've suffered as a country. It's not Pearl Harbor. It's not 9-11. It's not COVID, where we did not see them coming. They were external shocks. The fiscal situation we have is one that's really clear, uh, and there are obvious remedies for it, and it's something that we're going to have to deal with. It's not part of the political dialogue yet, really. You're I don't think so. Entitlements again. It's it, well, it's a variety of things. But so mostly, if if you just think about what's happened in, since really in the last three or four months, we're getting ready. I don't know if we'll have a Minsky moment in the bond market. I don't know if we'll have that point of recognition, but we're going to have the grinding reality that with 122% of debt to GDP, as interest costs go up the United States, you get in this vicious circle where higher interest rates cause higher funding costs, cause higher debt issuance, which cause further bond liquidation, which cause higher rates, which put us in an untenable fiscal position. We our interest bill is going to very shortly exceed our defense spending in just a couple of years. Uh, our, it's probably in four or five years, ceteris paribus, we'll have the highest interest bill as a percentage of GDP that we've ever had. It'll probably be close to 20% of your taxes will go to pay interest right. on the debt unless we do something. So um, that has to be part of the dialogue has to be the main dialogue for next year's presidential right. election. And right now, the, 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 the real problem is the two guys that put us in this situation, and I think that's what the bond markets kind of recognize as we get closer to primaries, 
are the, are, are the ones that are our choices for president. And, and can you imagine Donald Trump or Joe Biden? They're, they're the ones that started this. It actually started with Trump, right? Trump in 2016 was going to come in and he was going to cut taxes and cut spending. Well, along the way, cutting taxes is a great idea, but he didn't cut spending. So he, he inherited a 2.6% budget deficit. In 2019, it was 4.8% before the pandemic, so it almost doubled. And then in 2020, it went to 14% with the pandemic. But he's the one who, with a strong economy, said, I'm going to double down and cut taxes. We're going to grow our way out of it. Joe Biden, when he got elected, said, ah, the sugar high is pretty good. You had two or three Oreos. I'm going to eat the entire, the entire package. Uh, and the Build Back, Build Back Better Act was really the Build Back Debtor Act. So between the two of them, we kind of added 20% of debt to GDP. Neither one of them, the people that created the problem, as Einstein said, are not the ones to fix it. Is, Neither one of them can be president. It's really, it's that simple. Is there a candidate that you like, and is also there a candidate that you think has a chance, given the numbers that we see today? Well, it's going to be really interesting. No labels will probably uh, nominate Joe, Joe Manchin. We, as a country, you know, freedom's not free, right? That's, that's the old saying, we, we, we love to laud our troops who put their, their bodies and souls on the line for, for this great country. It's clearly, we're going to have to have fiscal retrenchment. We're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to cut spending. We're going to have to deal with entitlements. We're going to have to change Social Security. We're going to have to limit Medicare and Medicaid. We're going to have to raise taxes on um, the very wealthy. We're going to have to unequivocally raise taxes. The United States right now has the fifth lowest tax take out of 40 OECD countries. So there's plenty of room for us to raise taxes. Would you have shut down the government? Were you with those guys that said we need to, you know, we need to take drastic measures? They, they, they say the same thing about the 33 trillion yeah. and we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. The, the problem with them yeah. is that they only look at one side of the equation, which is that we have to cut spending. They are unwilling to talk about the other side of the equation, which is we're going to have to raise taxes. You cannot do this simply by cutting spending. We have right now, here's what the bond market is telling you. Last year, or this year rather, we had $2.3 trillion of funding that the private sector is required to uh, find the funding for. So that has caused a 100 basis point spike in bond yields. In 2024, it's going to be 2.7 trillion in the U.S., 2.7 trillion. Almost 10% of our budget is going to have to be to fund our federal, our federal spending. So the, it doesn't matter what the Federal Reserve says at this point. They've lost control. This is going to be the bond yeah. market talking and setting. Yeah, rates. the bond market. So what's happening is, and why we're probably, getting, we're probably going to go into recession sometime uh, in the first quarter of next year, probably because the bond market, simply through supply and demand, is going to deliver more rate hikes because we don't have a clearing price yet for right. 
long-term debt. And so those rate hikes are probably going to tip us into recession. So, Paul, Paul, but the, we hear people say the only way out of this is growth, or at least we need growth to help us. How do you raise taxes in a way that, that doesn't cause growth to, to, to be hindered? Who, you say on the rich. How rich? Are you talking about corporations, too? Are you talking about... I, I think, again, I think all Americans, you know, if, if you think about it, here, here's what we need. We need politicians, first of all, who will tell us the truth. We have a big fiscal problem. 122% of GDP means every 1% increase in interest rates over the course of the next decade, ceteris paribus, everything the same, adds 10% to debt to GDP. So we have to have a budget that allows us to reduce interest rates and reduce our interest cost and the markets are not going to tolerate that and give us that premium that comes with being the reserve currency. Right. But there's, unless, there's unless not enough guys it. like you yes. around to raise taxes on to do it. You've got to go down pretty far. You need to broaden the base. You can't just do it on you and Bezos and, and yeah. people like that. I, I would agree that we're going to have to have higher taxes on the vast majority of Americans okay. and we're going to also have to cut spending. Can, can I just say, it's going to take, first of all, politicians who are willing to have a truthful conversation with us. Okay, that's okay. Then, then secondly, it's going to take an American public, again, freedom's not free, we got to remember that, who has the fortitude to listen and to understand. And then finally, if you think about our generation, right, particularly yours and mine, Joe, we have probably been asked to do the least of any generation in the history of this country. We've been asked to do the, the, the smallest amount, to sacrifice the less. I didn't live at home till I was 40, Paul. I actually, <laughs> actually did go to grad school and then got a job. So, um, so, so I'm just saying we're all, gonna have to, we're all gonna have to give a bit. We're gonna have to compromise. We're gonna have to deal with a lot of um, really Things that politically right now people won't even talk about are going to have to be part of the conversation, discussion. It's going to take great leadership. But we've seen this happen before. We've seen fiscal retrenchments happen time and time again through history. Right. We're getting ready to have one. Can I just layer one other geopolitical issue in here? And then, and then I actually want to talk about Robin Hood. But China. China has been buying our treasuries for a very, very long time. And yet we now have a more complicated relationship with them than ever. How concerned are you about that piece of this? Well, I, I, again, I look at markets from a flow of funds standpoint. So we've lost a lot of our foreign central bank support. There's going to be a crowding out effect, right? If you, and, and the crowding effect, out effect, you already see it. We've got uh, the government's now borrowing at 5%. All this worked 10 years ago when rates were zero, right? You could paper over any problems you want, take on whatever debt you want. That was the problem with QE and zero rates, is we indebted ourselves when there was no cost. Now, all of a sudden, there's a cost, right? Corporate borrowing rates are 6.5%, high yields, nine and a quarter. Credit card debt is 23%, right? And a loan shark all of a sudden looks like Mother Teresa. So uh, we're at a point where we're going to have to get our fiscal house in order. And yes, it's going to take I'm still, tough, well, I'm tough still trying discussion. to figure out how we, how we do this. So at a certain point in New Jersey and New York, mm -hmm. marginal rates right. are almost 60%. So right. what 
where it should is 70 okay for certain people a and b should we raise taxes on corporations or are they the the people that are the individual they're, they're not people but supposedly they are the supreme court said but do we raise uh, rates on on we're trying to be com compete globally corporations are should we raise taxes on corporations and is 70 percent an okay marginal rate yeah that's obviously the most difficult question a politician has to deal with. Well, we I would, all have to if think you about think it. about where we were when the last time we had debt to GDP in the 50s and the so 60s, we should go to 70 percent. I'm saying mm -hmm. that some combination of entitlement reform, right? Oh, 70 percent of our budget deficit comes from Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. There's going to have to be entitlement reform. Definitely. There's going to have to be. We're going to pull on. We're going to turn every knob a little bit, right? That's what's going to have to happen. We're going to have to turn down the spending. We're going to have to turn up taxes incrementally at every point in time to deal with this. And again, it can't be one of these situations where, everything, where something's off the table, right? We don't, I don't think we have the ability to find a trillion dollars of savings. That's what we need to stabilize debt to GDP. We're going to have to find a trillion dollars of savings in 2025. That's what it's going to take. And the markets, I don't think, are going to give the U.S. a pass until we get to that. So that trillion dollars of savings can come from somewhere. It's going to take people getting in a room and compromising and having the ability to have a discourse and find, as Americans have for 250 years, find the best solution that works for everybody. I said I wanted to talk about Robinhood, but I also just looked uh, on the screen behind you and I saw the price of Bitcoin. And I know every time we've spoken... <laughs> Uh, you, you've had a take on Bitcoin. Do you have a, a new take? I, 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 still holding? I think, I, think, I think now the barbarous relics, and I would lump gold and Bitcoin together. I think they probably take on uh, a larger percentage of your portfolio than historically they would because we're going to go through both a challenging political time here in the United States and we're going to go through, we've obviously got a geopolitical right. situation. So I would, I would say... But high interest rates were supposed to be the thing that was actually going to be unhelpful to Bitcoin. Well, it, and I think on a relative basis, look what's happened to gold. It actually has been. Clearly, it suppressed it. So you know that more likely than not, we're going to go into recession. There's some pretty clear-cut recession trades. The easiest are the yield curve gets really steep. Term premium goes into the back ends of... Uh, of debt markets, right, into 30-year into and 10-year and 7-year paper. Uh, the stock market typically, right before a re recession, declines about 12%. That's probably going to happen at some point from some level. Uh, and you look at the big shorts in gold, more likely than not, in a recession, the market's typically really long assets like Bitcoin right. and gold. So... There's probably a $40 billion worth of buying that has to come in to gold at some point between now and if that recession actually occurs. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Bitcoin and I like gold right here. Uh, before we let you go, I want to talk about Robinhood, which, of course, you're the founder of, uh, but also the migrant issue in New York, given uh, what Robinhood has uh, done over the years to try to help New Yorkers. We are now uh, facing a new crisis. Right. So... You just have to remember, being a New Yorker is a very special thing. We have the gray lady sitting in New York Harbor, and she says, bring me your tired, 
you're poor, you're hungry, those huddled masses that yearn for freedom. And I would argue that describes 90% of the migrants that have come into this country. Uh, I think when we go to heaven and you get to the pearly gates, they're not asking for your national identity card. They're not. They take everyone depending upon who you are. Robin Hood is going to help the people in New York City who are in need, whether they've been here for 10 minutes or 10 years. That's what we're going to do. We're going to reach out. Now, having said that, clearly we have an unsustainable situation in New York City. We have 120,000 migrants on an already overtaxed situation. We're now putting people who are poor and destitute on top of the underserved and under-resourced in this city. It's not fair. It's wrong. So I thought Joe Manchin, who, by the way, I hope runs for president under no labels, had a great solution on Friday, declare a temporary state of emergency, close the border, let us digest the three million migrants that have come here in the past two years. Let us go through a natural, a legal naturalization process where they learn, those that make it, what it means to be an American, how our founders built this country, what democracy is, what civic duty is, what an election means, which they haven't seen, right? So, so yes, we have a problem, it's impacting us, and we're doing everything we can at Robin Hood to ameliorate it. Paul, we want to thank you. Uh, you've done Can remarkable say, work for you. You have a conference coming yeah, up, a October, big investor conference coming up that raises an enormous amount of money for And I for hope everyone that, that can afford to come will come. We've got Sam Alton, Condoleezza Rice, Stan Druckmann, or Steve Cohen, uh, Ken Griffin. It's going to be absolutely the best one we've ever had. And all that money goes to helping people in need. Paul, thank you for coming in this morning. Thank you for your perspective on all of this and helping us uh, through it. And we look forward to seeing you again very soon. Good luck with the event. We'll be watching that one as well. Cheese will be next. Coming up next, we bring you to Jerusalem with Israeli investor John Medved. It's a horrific moment, unfortunately. We've had a very tough half a week here, and we've lost a lot of really great people. The environment on the ground amid the Israel-Hamas war. What we're fighting here is not about politics or territories or any real issues. It's just pure evil, where people are essentially anti-life. It's We're fighting ISIS, and you don't negotiate with ISIS. Grappling with anti-Semitism globally and standing up for good versus evil. There's a difference between standing up for Palestinians and standing against Hamas. Hamas is evil. Squawk Pod will be right back. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And let's take a look at where things stand at this hour. Let's uh, bring you an update right now on that war in Israel, really a war against terrorism. Overnight, Israel saying its border with Gaza is now secure. A spokesperson saying no Hamas uh, terrorists had crossed into Israel since Sunday night. At least 900 Israelis have been killed. Palestinian health ministry said that uh, 687 people in Gaza and the West Bank have been killed. That number does not include 1,500 bodies of Hamas militants that IDF says have been found in Israel. Now, yesterday, Hamas threatened to execute hostages if Israel's bombs uh, civilians in Gaza uh, in their homes without warning. Of course, Israel has been uh, declaring warnings uh, for the past 24, 48 hours ahead uh, of some of the strikes that they have made as they've tried to go after the leadership of Hamas. Meantime, President Biden confirming yesterday that at least 11 Americans are among those dead. No Americans are confirmed to be hostages right now, but U.S. National Security Spokesman John Kirby is saying that a number of Americans are unaccounted for and there is a concern that they could be among the hostages. President Biden is set to address the American people on the war uh, this afternoon from the White House. You're seeing that Jewish hate play out across the world. Uh, I don't know if you saw videos even just overnight uh, in Sydney, gas the Jews. Mm. Um, it's disgraceful. It's despicable. I am Jewish and I, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm not and I don't know what to say. Right. It's, it, it's shocking. Need to beat it. It's, um, and, and we've seen protests here right, right outside these yep. windows of, 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 of people saying. I, yes, I wish I could say you don't need to here. be to know, except that it's, it's unbelievable what's happening. Uh, it's unbelievable to see the, re the response. Uh, I already had a, you know, I guess we'll say it on the air. I, I had a discussion with Becky. I need a, some type of chart to show me where people come down on these things. How far left do you have to go to where you're saying stuff like that? I mean, Larry, we talked about, you saw Larry Summers, We right? talked about Harvard yesterday on Larry the air Summers. with Jonathan Greenblatt. I asked him about it because I, I, I saw the memo so how does our it show work? began you, yesterday. You, is it... Is it, you can go so far left that if, if you view someone as totally disenfranchised that that is where you need to, to lay your chips, even if it means that you're somehow all, enabling You're gonna think I'm hostages. crazy. I wanna take it out of politics. Cause I actually don't, I don't think it's actually a political, I don't think it's a left, right what, or thing. Really? I think it's, I honestly, I think well, it's an How, how come an it, extreme, it seems confined to that extreme, group of people? It, you it, don't it, see anyone, I guess you can it, see. It seems to me, if you look around the world, and you go to Australia. You can find fascists, and you, I guess. And, and, you, yeah. and, you, and you go to different parts of Europe where some of these protests are happening. And you Maybe go to parts of the right. United States. I think it's an extremist view is what I think well, it on is. On either side. Yeah. Um, well, but, I guess I just don't understand certain cable. You know, certain places where you would expect, I don't know, outrage or just. Did you see Amari Studemeyer? Did you see that tape yesterday? I did not. Just, well, you know, we can't. Not everything is probably grist for, for talking here, but uh, there are people that are absolutely outraged that you can't see who the, where the good is here and where the evil is here. I guess they would say that there's some nuance from the, because it's occupied. Or, well, or, look, anytime you're talking about kidnapping grandmothers and babies and killing yeah, people a, flat this, out and raping people, it's pretty easy to see what, what's wrong with that scenario. If you can't see the evil there, then... It all to, traces back to, to that it's, uh, you know, that it's seen as an occupation. And there are, 
I guess, even Western countries around the world where, that have right. people in them that think that Israel shouldn't exist. Yes, but also I, we have neo-Nazis in this country who have this well, view, who right. wave flags, by the way, on behalf of President Trump for the last how many years right, have there, we had it, this? It was so again, a I just couple I say, hundred, maybe. Take Not the politics out of it, because the truth is there is horrific things that have been said in this country uh, for the uh, extremist things uh, for, for, for years. Uh, that were not condemned again, properly okay. at all, despite True. the despite the. But then again, um, President uh, Biden the, says the biggest for Israel and all the and biggest all of the support the that you would see. The biggest but if you threat. talk if you talk about why people feel this, I don't understand it. That's I don't understand it either. But but why people feel this and are willing to say these things aloud, and 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 there was not condemnation, there wasn't there was not you were not sitting on this at this table. Uh, screaming about those people saying those things four or five years I, ago. People were, people were, but they were not doing it enough. They were not. Right. The, the, I have a clear picture of the rise in anti-Semitism, obviously. And Jonathan would come on and talk about it. And, you know, you'd see it in, it, 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 they'd count on Twitter, they'd count when Elon Musk said something as, as anti-Semitic. They were putting it all into the, but this is, it's obviously clear at this point. You can see the demonstration. I still don't think that that group that you're talking about in this country is the biggest threat to security in the United States. What President Biden said that white supremacy is the biggest threat to, I think the biggest threat to the United States is the same thing as the biggest threat to Israel, and that's Islamic extremism. And that's what, you can't seem to say that. Some people will not, utter, oh, President Obama never uttered the words Islamic extremism. Why not? Look, I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to defend those positions. I think that all of this extremism is terrible, but I think the point is that it has to be called out all the time. Do you think the, the biggest threat to the United States is white supremacy? These, like, hundred nut jobs that you Look, see occasionally. Look, you, do you realize by saying it the way you're saying it, I'm not it appears that you're defending it. No, no not, but that's, not, that's the point. I'm saying that there but are bigger threats. That's but that's like, the point. If, 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 when, once it becomes normalized, equalized no, not, in any no, I'm way. Not, I'm not normalizing. I'm saying it's a very, very small percentage. I, I wouldn't even people. say that, though. I would just say there, there is a terrible group of people in this country uh, all around that are the world. saying these things, and that's terrible, and let's leave it there. Since the Hamas attack on Israel on Saturday morning, anti-Semitic comments have surged on social media platforms like Telegram and 4chan. According to the Anti-Defamation League, messages containing extremist threats of violence against Jews, Israelis, and Zionists on Telegram surged 488% in just the first day of the conflict. Misinformation about the Israel-Hamas war is also on the rise. Edited and manipulated videos are reportedly spreading on X, formerly known as Twitter. To get a better sense of what's happening in Israel and how Israeli sentiment and business is shifting in the conflict, we spoke to an investor with his feet literally on the ground. Tech companies operating in Israel now face uncertainty and disruptions ahead of the country's shift into war mode. Join us right now with more on what's at stake. Uh, our crowd funder and CEO, John Medved, uh, live from Jerusalem this morning. Our crowd is one of Israel's most active venture investor platforms. Uh, John, we appreciate you joining us. Before we even get into that, just Tell us what it's been like uh, to be on the ground, to be in Jerusalem on a, uh, in this moment. It's a horrific moment, unfortunately. Uh, we've had a very tough half a week here, uh, and we've lost a lot of really great people. 
There's been a lot of heroic defense. We are, I think, a little bit embarrassed by some of the mistakes that were made. But we're very confident. And right now, I would say the country is unified in a way with an unbelievable spirit of people chipping in. There have been 300,000 reservists called up, including two of my own kids. Uh, everybody has somebody you know, in armed forces. And we're not fighting overseas. We're, we're fighting for our, our homes. And uh, this has been, to a large extent, like an Israeli 9-11, except the only difference is that by losing almost a 1,000 people, it was though Israel lost, if it was 9-11 terms, if, if, if America had lost that many, it would have been 40,000 for America, or 20 times the, uh, the death. So this has an impact, but what's remarkable is how Israel is resilient and how despite all of this, life goes on, our businesses go on, and investment goes on. And uh, we think that this actually, if you look historically at how Israel stocks and Israel investments have performed as a result of, of, of war, believe it or not, they go up and it becomes an actual buying opportunity. It's hard to talk that way a couple of days into this. And, you know, with uh, the, the terrible tragedies that are unfolding in the stories, but from a financial standpoint, we're going to be fine and actually emerge stronger. So, John, just but um, what does it feel like to be on the ground in terms of safety? You said life goes on. You know, most of the reports that we're hearing about in terms of just being on the ground have been that the streets have been relatively empty. There's not a lot of traffic. Are people going people going to to work to the office and things like this right now? No. So. So first of all, we you know been largely a, a work at home place where a tech com- you know, country. Uh, but the, the streets are quiet because if there's a an air raid siren, you have to go you know quickly and, and seek shelter. I've had nine uh shelter-seeking moments here in my Jerusalem house. My home office, from speaking to you now, is right down the door from my, my safe room. Uh, and But we're used to it. It's, it's a weird world we live in. Um, and by the way, what's remarkable is how many tourists are still here. They're, they're getting used to it. I have a, a, a niece who's here for a gap year who is doing well. Uh, and the, the hardest part is simply hearing the stories of people who were butchered in their homes, the hundreds of kids who were slaughtered at this uh, music festival. But it's a, it's a very, very confusing moment personally, because we're also incredibly aware and support and encouraged by the support we're getting. What the U.S. has done for Israel now in terms of just the statements from President Biden, former President uh, you know, uh, Obama saying that we stand squarely with Israel while you dismantle Hamas. The fact that, you know, the Eiffel Tower was lit, the White House was lit. Um, people, I think, understand that what we're fighting here is not about politics or territories or any real issues. It's just pure evil and barbarism where People are, are, are essentially anti-life. It's, we're fighting ISIS. And you don't negotiate with ISIS. You don't try to understand them. You have to dismantle them. Obama was right. And I think that uh, 
our country is united. The tech sector is leading as usual. You know, we represent 50% of Israel's exports. There is no slowdown in any of our exports, no slowdown in any of our companies. My company is fully operational. We launched two new investment deals uh, this week. Millions of dollars is being invested uh, in terms of just a commitment to the future. Because I, I think what we stand for is life, life and seeking peace. And we'll get through this. We'll mourn and bury our dead. We'll hopefully get back our hostages sooner rather than later. But then we'll go on and we'll continue right. building this wonderful country. John, um, before we go, and you, you've, you've walked us through what hopefully would be an effort to get to peace, but how do you see that play itself out? Given all that Look, we're seeing, I, this has been something, I, I this has been an elusive goal for, for a very, very, very long time. But you, you have to note the progress that has been made. And in fact, what I think was one of the causes of the timing that Hamas chose was the uh, coming peace with Saudi Arabia, which the crown prince of, of the kingdom said is getting closer each and every day. And Hamas and their masters in Tehran felt now was the time to strike because they are against this historic reconciliation. What has happened with Israel and the UAE and Israel and Bahrain and Morocco has proven that we can turn the Middle East into a garden again. We can make it a source of goodness and of, 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 of literally tackling together world problems. And once we bring the Saudis into this, it's going to be unbelievable. And I think that uh, in a strange way, this unites the forces of good versus the forces of evil. And I really, I, I, I don't talk usually this way. But John, did you see, uh, we, we got to go, but did you did you see that uh, MBS has uh, been standing up for the Palestinians in all of this? Well, first of all, there's a difference between standing up for Palestinians and standing against Hamas. Hamas is evil. Hamas kills and slaughters children with knives at their throat. They mass rape women. Okay, they kill people at a music festival. There is no politics in the world that can justify that. So there's no, what we all want is a good future for the region, for the Palestinians, for the Jews, for the Israelis, for the Saudis. We all want that. And that's what I believe MBS wants. Okay. I do think that we're going to find a way to make that future happen without Hamas going forward. John, uh, we very much appreciate you joining us this morning. We hope to uh, follow uh, your progress and hope you'll come back uh, and talk to us again. Thank you, and please, please stay safe. Thank you. That does it for today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in to CNBC. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. If you haven't already, please follow us here on Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now to ensure you never miss an episode. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.